Hey, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Um, greetings of peace. Um, this is Rehan. Um, just wanted to share some thoughts with you. And uh, so it's Friday the 19th of May. And, uh, you know, there's a looming, you know, debt crisis, so to speak. Um, you know, the markets are uh, hollowing out. There's great dispersion in the S&P 500, meaning, you know, it's, there's only a few, you know, big companies holding up the index and um, everything below that is, has been falling. Um, so it hasn't been performing uh, like the top constituents. So you see a hollowing out of equities, with, um, which is a, definitely a, a bearish signal. And then um, we have <clears throat> This uh, brinksmanship that's happening in the United States with regards to uh, moving the debt ceiling and, you know, uh, the political parties, basically the Republicans using it as a bargaining chip um, because obviously the, the impact of the U.S. government defaulting or not being able to make payments is so catastrophic um, that, of course, it would force uh, both sides to the table uh, and unfortunately it's been happening for so many years um you know 78 times i believe is the number that the debt ceiling has been raised so you know obviously the consensus and base case is that uh, they will raise the debt ceiling again they're just trying to figure out by how much and how much of a deficit is uh, you know liked or uh, an appropriate compromise between the two political parties in the state. So that's going on. Um, you know, China's reopening has been uh, a big nothing burger, so to speak. Um, there is basically no reopening in that sense, uh, no real demand that was supposed to save the global economic system. The yuan is falling at the moment, and uh, there is remarkable uncertainty in the markets as we lead up into June and Obviously, the 1st of June is when they need to make a decision on the debt ceiling in the United States. What I find interesting at this point in time is obviously, well, one thing we need to note is that debt, U.S. debt is at an all-time high. Um, but it, this is also a, a phenomena throughout the developed world. Global debt is at an all-time high, you know, in, in the sense that in the history of the world, um, we are, we have the most amount of debt that we've ever had. Um, in known history. Uh, so that's obviously an interesting fact to have. Now, in this climate, uh, you know, the US has around $30 trillion of, of debt, and well, that's the ceiling. And they have just, you know, over the past 12 months, hiked interest rates by 500 basis points, which is uh, the fastest known interest rate hike cycle in the past 30 years um, and they're doing that because they say they're fighting inflation and that's an interesting argument um, obviously modern-day Keynesian economic uh, argument that they're making um, it is the convention conventional wisdom of the day um, but there are obviously many countries uh, or a few notable countries who have experienced hyperinflation in recent times. Um, you know, you've got Venezuela, Zimbabwe, 
um, Sri Lanka, like a few noteworthy countries. And, you know, their interest rates are astronomical, but it hasn't really curbed their inflation. Um, so, you know, they're up there in the 60, 70, 80, 100 percent. And so that it that relationship that people think is or they take it as dogmatically true is not uh, empirically evidenced. It doesn't always work. Right. So it's not hard science. It's, it's theoretical and human beings and our economies are complex things. But one thing to note, you know, raising interest rates uh, to fight inflation when debt is very, very high um, or reasonably high uh, results in some really bad side effects, uh, as in for the purpose of trying to fight inflation. So one side effect of raising interest rates um, to 5%, for example, when you have government debt of $31 trillion or so, um, is that the government now starts paying significantly more interest payments on that debt. And that debt is held by the private sector, right? So um, you're fiscally uh, spending more uh, and putting that directly into the pockets of uh, the private sector that holds your debt, right? It could be the general public, it could be insurance companies, it could be um, uh, <clears throat> obviously people who hold treasuries, it could be hedge funds, it could be pension funds, it could be a whole bunch of local and international uh, recipients of that debt payment. So now you're, because we've, the Fed has raised interest rates so rapidly, um, uh, the Treasury now has to start making more uh, interest payments because it flows through to, um, to the Treasury's uh, debt that they're issuing. So we're seeing that the U.S. government now, while they're trying to fight inflation, are actually trying to uh, are actually starting to pay a lot more interest, which kind of undoes some of the um, the fight because you're basically fiscally stimulating uh, by increasing the amount of payments that the government's making um, and spending in, uh, to the general public. And so you're stimulating while you're trying to reduce uh, the money supply. And the way they try and reduce the money supply is by increasing uh, interest rates, and that makes it harder for people to borrow. Right. And borrowing is how the money supply expands. Right. That's the 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 way that <clears throat> modern banking and uh, the economic system uh, works. And so through this conventional means of increasing the money supply, which is through debt, um, uh, you know, they can try and reel it in by making it harder to borrow. Therefore, less money is lent. Therefore, there's less supply. Uh, of of money to to the the masses now, in a high inflation environment, where you have a lot of debt, one obviously you're fiscally stimulating because you're paying out more, um, and the people who are receiving that stimulus because they have a lot of capital, uh, clearly which they're not really spending, um, are incentivized to seek higher yield, and so they can go uh, instead of just parking in treasuries and getting let's say five percent. Um, they can go uh, into corporate debt or other forms of debt where they could get seven, eight percent. They could get higher yield, right? And so you have this fascinating kind of, um, and of course they're earning more, so they can lend more. So you have this as the yields go up, as interest rates go up, there is a greater incentive for the the creditors to lend more, 
obviously because they're getting more yield, right? And the, and the only way they can access that yield is if they actually actively lend into the market. So you create this side effect where you're incentivizing lending from the people who have the money, right? So they want to lend more because they can get more yield. Okay. On the borrowing side, uh, the demand side, uh, inflation is already doing the job of creating demand for credit because people don't have uh, don't have enough money, right? All of their expenses have gone up, some twofold, you know, depending on the items that they're uh, involved with uh, that they buy, and so as these expenses have gone up, people have less money, they need more money. And so that creates, inflation creates a demand for credit, right? It, so that's because people don't have enough money. And so you have the demand for credit rise because of inflation, The and you're trying to fight that by raising interest rates. The demand, uh, sorry, the supply of credit increase because people have are getting paid more interest, therefore they have more to lend. And so the private sector lending has has an incentive um, to lend out more. And even banks have an incentive to lend out more because they can make more money on the spread. Um, so, you know, for the same amount of capital, you can make more money as interest rates rise. So we're in this interesting situation, which the Fed has created, where fiscal spending has to go up to meet the interest rate uh, demand, uh, right? As in the imposed interest rate that the Fed has, has put onto the market. And then, Increased demand for credit, which is already there because of inflation, and increased supply of credit because the the people uh, the the rate of return on on credit has gone up significantly, and so you've got this uh, this like really split brain scenario where the Fed, through its action of increasing interest rates, trying to fight inflation, is creating stimulative effect for money supply expansion at the same time so they're undoing their own work right now when when total debt of the government is small right it's a small portion um, of of gdp it's a small percentage of um, assets in in the economy then that increase in interest payments is less significant right um whereas in this case where the u.s government's at what 120 percent gdp um, with regards to their debt, um, that's, that means that the increase in interest rates has a sizable impact on the fiscal stimulus that is produced through the interest payments, right? And so uh, we have this problem of the velocity of money increasing because uh, the government's making more interest payments out there. So it's, you know, in a way, I think the Fed's policy is is a huge mistake uh, currently. Uh, but as you say, or as they say, for a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so the Fed is deciding to use interest rates, which is their preferred policy tool, to fight uh, inflation uh, and unfortunately undoing some of that battle themselves. Right. So they're is a, a great risk that this inflation will prolong because uh, you know they've created a incentives for for lenders to lend more um, and inflation itself is creating incentives for borrowers to borrow more now you know if, if you wanted to fight inflation the reality of inflation is that it is self um, regulating so inflation 
is mean reverting uh, because it creates in and of itself a shortage of money, right? So as inflation rises, things get more expensive, um, and if all else remains equal, people have less money to spend, they curb back on their spending, and uh, you know, uh, prices self-regulate. Uh, so it's not sustainable. Inflation is sustainable if all else remains equal. Uh, it uh, self-regulates people's behavior, and when people need more money, in the absence of lending, they have to go out and seek more work, meaning they have to increase the supply of goods and services. And so when you increase the supply of goods and services, because you have scarcity of money, um, then that also brings down price levels, right? Because if demand is constant, supply is increased, um, and there you go, right? So you've got another mechanism for inflation to self-regulate because it directs people towards certain behavior. Um, so that's great. So if all else being equal, inflation can self-regulate if you give it time. And I think that the Fed understanding that inflation is transitory was correct. However, they didn't know how much time it would take, and people are impatient, and it was a political misstep because inflation makes a lot of people unhappy, right? So people don't like inflation because it affects everyone, um, and so they whinge about it. And so politically, it's... Uh, uh, People, unfortunately, people would prefer, those who keep their jobs, that is, that unemployment rises over experiencing inflation. Because at the end of the day, when unemployment rises to 10%, it's still 90% of the people, right, who are voting, um, who, who, who didn't necessarily uh, suffer. Uh, whereas when inflation rises, it's 100% of everyone who's suffering, right? So politically, unfortunately, the way that human beings seem to respond in a political sense is they... Uh, they whinge a lot more about, as a whole, about inflation rising as they do about, oh, the unemployment rate went up from 5 to 10%, for example, right? Even though for those 5% of people who are now out of jobs or homeless or no longer part of the productive economy, um, maybe they've turned to crime, whatever they've done to try and survive, uh, you know, that is absolutely devastating, right? But, you know, Keynesian economic theory all works in aggregates, unfortunately. And so you know, fighting inflation becomes a political thing. And so the Fed, uh, because its reputation was tarnished and everyone was blaming them, uh, then said, well, all right, we'll solve this. And how do they solve it? Well, it's just you take a page out of the textbook. There's no, you don't need to think about the decision. This is a default conventional uh, economic theory, right? Uh, inflation is how you just raise interest rates um, uh, without them really considering how much debt they have, how that also has a fiscally stimulative effect. And the reality is, one thing that I do believe they know is that even if they did nothing and government fiscal spending just went back to pre-COVID levels, um, inflation would go away. But Fed Chairman Powell has a legacy to uphold. So uh, he's going to be a hero. This is his chance to be a hero. And so he jacked up interest rates, which is their preferred policy tool. They needed to reload their weapon because at zero you can't do much. You have to do these funny things like QE and, and, and so on. Um, so they needed to reload the, their interest rate weapon. And so they used this opportunity to do so. And they chose extremely lagging indicators uh, so that it would give them time uh, to, uh, to raise interest rates to a significant degree so they can reload their weapon and regain power. Right. This is a central bank that had lost power, had lost control. And 
you know, in their hubris, they need to regain that. They need to feel like they're back in power. They're back in control, right? So they need to recharge their weapon. And so for them to, you know, refill their magazine, they need to raise interest rates. And, and so I think the inflation fight was obviously an excuse, the perfect excuse, never let a good crisis go to waste, for them to reload that weapon to jack up interest rates to a point where now they feel like they're back in control so that if they need to stimulate the economy uh, because they feel like it's their responsibility somehow, um, that they can artificially do so through uh, manipulating interest rates, dropping them when they need to, raising them when they need to. So there, there is, um, you know, and I'm being extremely critical uh, of people, but at the end of that, people are people and they are motivated by ego and legacy and so on. So now we have the world's most important central bank, their chairman being a hero, right? And, uh, you know, he, uh, when inflation comes down, because it will, uh, it has to, it's a self-regulating phenomenon. Um, you know, uh, all you need is government spending to go back to where it was pre-stimulus and things will reset. And so that's what's uh, what we're waiting to happen. In the meantime, the central bank has used it as an opportunity to recharge the weapon and take credit for bringing inflation down, which would have come down anyway. So in a way, the man's a hero because inflation went down and he will take credit for it, even though much of what he's done has slowed down the effect or the slowed down the, um, the rate at which inflation will fall, right? Um, but he can pat himself on the back. Uh, and, and say, look, I did it. I'm a hero. People will write books about him. He'll write a, he'll have, I'm sure, his own uh, publications, and he'll retire. Um, and he is a, he's a wealthy man, right? So his net worth is, uh, you know, maybe, you know, way into the maybe hundred million dollars, right? So he doesn't need the money. Um, but for a person who doesn't need money, fame for fame and power is is really their drug. And so I think. Uh, inflation will come down eventually if they don't keep slowing it down um, by fiscally stimulating. And uh, he will get the credit for it and he'll be a big hero. Uh, and there'll be a whole world of pain uh, as we go into this oncoming recession. So the conference board um, that has leading uh, economic indicators for recessions, um, you know, uh, their LEI is now flashing red. Uh, for a recession, um, so it's a clear signal that uh, a recession is pretty much guaranteed if we continue uh, down this course. So there you go. Um, we're going to get our recession. Uh, a whole bunch of people are going to lose their jobs. Um, Warren Buffett's already mentioned that they're expecting revenues and earnings to be down this year in their uh, portfolio of companies. Um, uh, you know, he's just being honest. Uh, and so well, we're going to see that kind of economic crunch happen. Uh, we've already mentioned the uh, dispersion in the S&P 500, uh, which is also another bearish signal, meaning it's hollowing out of the index. There's only a few names holding it up, um, while everything else uh, is, is going bearish. And obviously we've got this debt ceiling, brinksmanship that's going on as well, which is not healthy for the U.S. economy and that the other thing that's going to happen is as soon as they resolve the debt ceiling issue, um, their, the Treasury is going to refill its account at the Fed, right? And it's getting dangerously low right now. So they're, you know, they're going to soon run out of money uh, in that account to make government payments. But uh, they're going to refill that to maybe $600 billion um, as soon as that debt ceiling is lifted. 
Uh, and what does that mean? That means a whole bunch of money gets taken out of the, the economy because people buy this debt. Someone has to buy it. Um, so people are going to buy that $600 billion worth of debt, and that's money that goes into the Treasury's account at the Fed, right? So that's a liquidity um, negative event. So there's money that's going to be taken out of the system in, in one big uh, big move when they uh, refill that account by issuing debt. So, you know, come June, uh, you know, the liquidity situation will get worse, uh, which means it'll be harder for, for, for people to find dollars, right? Because they're sitting in the, the Treasury's account at that point in time, and then they'll spend it, you know, over time. So in the short term, things are looking kind of bearish, um, or very much so. And, uh, you know, we'll keep watching the markets, uh, you know, we're watching uh, as um, different asset classes go, go bullish or bearish right now. Uh, there's a lot of bearish, well, across the board, um, a lot of bearish activity. Even gold has just kind of dropped a little, um, so it's correcting a little. Uh, so we're seeing gold also turn uh, neutral or bearish at this point in time, but I don't think that's a long-term, uh, that's not a long-term view of mine, but in the short term, um, you know, if you're, if you're worried about short-term volatility in gold, um, you know, you might want to hop out and then, I mean, it's not financial advice, but that's that's what I'm looking to do is hop out um, of, of gold and gold miners and then uh, see when things turn uh, bullish again. But it's all tactical in, in this environment because things are moving so fast and there's so much volatility. Um, not many trends are persisting. Uh, you know, oil is falling as well. There's a whole lot of inflationary forces. So, uh, you know, it's only a matter of time when this recession, you know, officially arrives, but the leading economic indicators are, are have confirmed that it will happen. Um, you know, whether it's Q4 or Q1 of next year, um, you know, that remains to be seen. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're definitely headed in that direction. Anyway, th those are some thoughts that I wanted to share uh, with you guys. Uh, if, uh, if you have any comments, rebuttals, you know, anything that you'd like to share on this, uh, provide any feedback, please reach out to me um, and would be happy to uh, field uh, your questions and hear your, your opinions as well. All right, thank you very much. Uh, salams, greetings, and peace to you uh, from Rehan and from the team here at Halal Stocks.